From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in Working as Intended Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns-Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Steve McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Mark LaCroix, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are debugging and silent protagonists. So, everyone is ready. Let's start. Okay, before we get into anything... We have to do the thing we promised to do for the next couple episodes. That's right. Which is to hype the Wordplay Conference. Wordplay yes. Conference. Hi, bye, bye. So if you didn't hear us in the last couple of weeks, Wordplay Conference is a, a yearly event put on by Hand-Eye Society in Toronto. Yes. It's online this year as it was last. And our game Glom is part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a conference that celebrates the use of words and language in, in games. And Glom does exactly that. And they agreed. And so we're going to have a showcase as part of that stream, which is going to be on Twitch. We'll have the link in the show notes. And I'm just kind of going through all of the same details that we talked about last episode. Yeah. I'll add one. Yes, please. There's a lot of cool stuff linked on their site. So like, they, yeah. you know, they have uh, they have links to games that were featured from past conferences. Mm-hmm. And there's some really cool stuff on there. Yeah. Innovative. Um, yeah. Right. Really innovative, really interesting themes. And I don't have this, the page open right now um, for two reasons. Well, no, just one reason, and that's if it were open right now, it'd be really distracting for the rest of the episode. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff on <laughs> Yeah, there's You're a lot of really saying. cool stuff. But yeah. uh, like Mark just said, we'll link the we'll link the conference website in the show notes, mm-hmm. and we'll probably, you know, be tweeting it out, you know, coming up to the show and stuff like that, or coming up to the conference, the date of the conference. Um, and you can just you can just Google it. Yep. Um, it is November 13th and 14th on Twitch. Um, and you can see Glom and a bunch of other cool stuff. And you can check out the website uh, for past stuff like Ellen was just mentioning. Um, so please do. Yeah. Do we have any other topics at the top of the show, or do we want to get into it? Uh, so my topic. <laughs> <laughs> it's just all plugs at the top of the show now. Yeah. No banter. Yep. Straight to it now. Yep. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about debugging. So we were um, looking. I was. This is something I've been dealing with a lot for for the the work the game I'm working on. Yeah, um, is uh, we have a publisher deadline, which from where I'm sitting is in a couple of days. Oh boy! <laughs> and um, I've been working on a um, a refactor of a system that got figured. We figured out it was fine, mm-hmm. but then it resulted in like a whole wake of bugs. Just. Tons of them in its path. Oh, gosh. And so, um, and I created all of these. So, yeah. like, I am just, like, <laughs> nose down fixing them yeah. before I can merge all my changes back into the, into the, the main branch of the, the repo. And it is slowing me down. And mm. it's like, I'm still dealing with it. And I only have a couple of days left. Now, our publisher has been super great. But, like, I can't account on their generosity. I can't abuse their generosity. Yeah. So, I'm, I'm thinking about this a lot because one of the approaches that I take to uh, debugging and we've talked about this on the show before yeah is this idea that like once you face a problem you just don't leave it sitting there mm-hmm. because steven i know you've talked about how you and the finches team did that for a long time yeah and then it took a long time to clean that stuff up later yes and that's the general reason why you don't want to do that but there are pluses and minus to it we'll get into yep but i'm very aggressive about that i will i will stop what i'm doing and because i'm kind of um I'm a little bit, um, a bit of an addictive personality. So the thing I'm working on now I, will never bore me. I will mm-hmm. just keep going forever. So I'm really suited to this kind of workflow. Yeah. What that means is it's going to be a long time before I can get to the next thing. Yeah. Um, and if the thing takes longer than it's supposed to, what a good idea would be to patch it up so it's kind of okay, put a note down, <laughs> track it, yeah. and move the hell on. Yeah. And I, ha- I have a difficult time doing that. And so that's coming to bite me right now. 
if, if it helps at all, Mark, it's not just you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, so that's the reason I want to talk about it. And mm-hmm. I've, I've sort of like, you know, uh, spoiled a bit of the conversation for later. But um, we have talked about bugs on the show before yes. in our very first year. It was like the fifth episode, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, so this has been something that uh, we kind of haven't officially gone back to since then because it's like it's we've done it. But it's been quite a while since then. And so it's good to sort of revisit it in a way. Yeah. Um, I mean, you guys are more, de- I mean, we're all the more developed as developers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the tools have, the tools have probably changed and there's more thinking about best practices and processes and stuff. It's always good to revisit. Yeah. Revisit yep. topics. Yeah. I know certainly back then I was not a Unity developer principally. Right. So mm-hmm. now knowing the way the debugging, <laughs> the state of debugging in Unity is mm-hmm. a whole thing that I want to get into. Um, but let's talk, let's talk about the, the, the tools, right? The yes. actual, you know, what, what it is that you do. So basically, a, a debugging, if you, I mean, just as a general uh, description, if you're not, you know, too embarrassed to ask. Um, I mean, you know, a lot yeah. of us are self-taught. So sometimes oh, you don't really know what these things are like formally, you know, as. Absolutely. But basically, it's a process by which you find the bug, right? Yes. And so um, the simplest way and the way we've all done it is you put print statements or in Unity, it's debug.log. Actually, people in Unity sometimes do print. My old job, like people did print all the time and it got on my nerves. Yeah, it print is an alias yeah. debug.log, yeah. but it only works in mono behaviors. Yes. So if you're using other classes, you have to remember that it's debug.log. That's exactly why I hate it when people yeah. do it. Just use debug.log. Like debug.log <laughs> is accessible yeah. as part of the Unity API yeah. outside of a mono behavior. Yeah. So why is print only an alias inside? It's absolutely true. Yeah. It's a piece of nonsense. Didn't mean to distract us though. Sorry. <laughs> I actually, it, I actually have gone in and have replaced a couple of those ones yeah. that I put in like, oh, this is convenient. It reminds me of the old like in Flash. That's what you'd, you'd, you'd mm. say print. Yeah. Um, or trace. It was trace. Actually, so that's probably why people do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's yeah. just simpler. Like, I don't, why is it this dot that? Just give me something simpler than that. Yeah, but it, because it's not available across the whole API, it debug that log is smarter. Or yes. write your own alias, I guess. Yeah, that worked. Anyways, <laughs> sorry. I mean, just like debugging, you can get you can get distracted. <laughs> yes, and this can definitely happen. Mm-hmm. Um. So the 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 basic process is to write one of these trace statements or print statements or debug log dot log statements. Yeah. And what it does is it just prints to the console. Where where it reached that point in the code, and very and uh, usually you're able to put uh, strings in there. I do uh, three exclamation points. Is my yeah, default. which is very smart. It's just like a it's like I just know that it, it reached that point, right? Mm-hmm. But you, you want to put of uh, uh, um you can put variables in there. You can it have a whole you can have it display anything you want, whatever the current state of the game is, and that's very yeah. useful. Um, but it's not really proper debugging. Like what you really should be doing is a breakpoint. Oh yeah. And now a breakpoint is basically exactly the same thing, mm. but it's more formal. It's um uh where you actually tell the program to stop at that spot as it's executing the code. Yeah. And then you enter a new environment where you're able to inspect all the the, the pieces of memory in that moment, and then you can play again. Right. Mm-hmm. It's yep. much more useful. You don't have to decide what to put in that that statement. Yeah. Um, you just stop and then you can then poke around. Yes. Um, now, in you, people don't do this in Unity that much because for two reasons. One, Unity debugging, like getting it set up is actually kind of difficult. Yes. Um, not that it's impossible. It's just like tedious and like yeah. a lot of us don't bother. Yeah. The second thing is that when you're in Unity and you pause the editor, you can the the inspector shows a lot of va- variables and values. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what what a, a breakpoint is. Yeah, is you can look into the current memory state of the application, and so 
I think that it's really easy to be very critical of people who just use debug.log statements. Yeah. But they actually have a lot more powerful tools within the Unity editor yeah. that aren't available to people who are just using code SDKs the way I used to. Another reason why I do it is because it's very slow, it feels like to me, to, yeah. like, to do breakpoints and stuff. Mm-hmm. I find it much faster just real quick. Do, and maybe it's because I'm used to it, but I find it faster to just do a debug.log thing to see where if this code is executing the way I expect it to and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think the the main the reason I I get frustrated when I do it mm-hmm. is because I know I'm like I have to I'm modifying the code to put those statements in and modifying yeah. again to clean it all up yeah. or comment them out. It Absolutely. just feels very messy. That's fair. Um yep. but because the Unity editor gives you so much access to the it's a reason why a lot of we make variables public when I mean, we don't have to. Mm. It's just so we can see what the value is. Just use serial, serialized fields. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> yeah, the way Unity does public and private variables is absolute nonsense. Um, and when you keep giving us basis. Well, I have no idea what you're talking I about. I know, I'm it sorry. Is, it is remarkably really... easy. You know, you want it, like a topic like this, you want to be kind of broad, but it's remarkably yeah. easy to start talking specifics. Yeah, yeah. well, it's, an act, it's, it's a process, it's an action. I mean, I didn't mean to sound like I wasn't enjoying it. I yeah. don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> But that's fine. No, I can see the excitement in your face, but also the confusion. That's yeah, why we I'm know that you get really excited when yeah. you don't understand what we're talking about. That's we- absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't know, what the, I don't know what this is. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a, like, I think that's a good point. It's like, it feels like a lot of every, every engine has their own tools used to do debugging, just because like obviously engines have different strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. So you have to approach it in different ways, mm-hmm. um, depending on the tool you're using. Can I dig into that a little bit? Yes. You can. Okay, so um, y- that totally makes sense, right? So, like, the, the specific words that you're using, like, debug.log, that one you guys said enough that it's going to sink in. So, I will remember that, that Sweet. it's not print in Unity, it's debug.log. Yes. I don't know if I'll ever use it. Except sometimes when it is, but hey, mostly no, 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 Okay. Okay. But I guess the, 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 so the specifics of for like executing different debug actions and mm-hmm. formats and things are going to be different from, you know, engine to engine tool to tool, so on and so forth. Yeah. But the, the processes and purposes behind those specific commands are going to be consistent. So like what, what's the use case for your debug.log? When do you use it? What are you trying, what problem are you trying to solve when you type in those characters and press enter? Very frequently, it's when you run your program and it does something you don't expect it to. Yes. And it's the only way to find out is to actually, at the moment where you expect, and this is where you, where you put that statement in the code is kind of important Yeah. because it's a lot of times, and that's why sometimes my debug.logs are just a a string that's just three exclamation points. Mm -hmm. There's no information in there. The only information I have is when it happens. Right. And so if I'm, if I'm, you know, doing like a UI layout or I have a character jumping or something and something weird happens, I want to know if this particular block of code is running or not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I put the statement in there and then if I see it print, that I know the code is running and right. I know the code isn't working. Right. If I don't see the statement, then I know that the code isn't working or isn't running. It mm. may or may not work. Yeah. So I need okay. to find why isn't it running now? I thought I set the condition for it to run such and such. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I work up earlier in the, the code stack or the code pro, you know, step through where how it reaches that code. I find the, the code I think is going to run before that block. Mm-hmm. Then I put the statement there and I yeah. try it again. Yep. And so that's, and essentially this is where you'd put the breakpoints in, in your, in your yeah. code editor is in those same places is yeah. where you're trying to investigate where do I want to either see if something happened or didn't happen, or where do I want to get more information about what the current state of something is at this moment? Right. Because the thing about, uh, uh, um, code, but especially game code 
is that a lot of things change a lot mm -hmm. while it's yes. running. Yeah. And it's very difficult to query things that you've set up processes for, yeah. um, especially if you need to be at the controls and you don't have like a something to automatically play the game for you. It's actually hard to pay attention to a lot of things at once. Yeah. So it kind of just basically put, is, a, is a lens into a moment in as it steps through your code. Because, I mean, we you know, we can multi-thread, but essentially like 30 things are happening, but the code is still running in a certain linear order mm -hmm. yeah. for the mm -hmm. most part. Yes. And so it's important to say like, oh, I this happened in the wrong order. I thought this was supposed to happen first. Then mm -hmm. you need to find out how the code is executed. And like, oh, I made a misjudgment here. Oh, or oh, I made a mistake here. Yeah. Or, or oh, I didn't set up the condition here. And the way you do that is to just, is to put those breakpoints or those statements in to get that information that you need. And so it's this weird little detective work you have to do yeah. into the thing you built. It's like the analogy that I was, the analogy that was uh, developing in my head as you were describing the process is really kind of like, I don't know, I really liked the show House uh -huh. with all the diagnostics, right? And so like, you like you have a th you have a theory, you're like, okay, this didn't work the way that I wanted it to. I'm going to check out this part of the, the code or like you're, you know, you're going to run this test on the patient and then you get information back from that test and you get information back from your, debug.log. I had to read it. I'm sorry. I thought I had it, but I had to read it off the notes. Um, and you're like, oh yeah, that totally confirms my hypothesis. Or like, nope, that's not it. We've got to go dig into their kitchen and like look yeah. underneath their sink or you know whatever the analogy is for debugging in code. It's not a bad analogy yeah. in terms of di diagnostics because a lot of times when you, when you, when you investigate different breakpoints or put in different log statements, um, you are not changing your code. You're not fixing anything yet. Right. right. You're just trying to figure out what's wrong. Yes. And and you're like, oh, you know what? I think I need to change that, but I'm going to do three more tests before I change it mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you may not have all the information you think you have. And so it's very important in that kind of experimental diagnostic sort of way to not change the reality on the, on the ground <laughs> right. yeah. until you find out the real answer. Yeah. And that yeah. means a lot of times... Uh, especially in Unity, like recompiling your code just to process where just the debug logs, where yeah. those statements are, yeah, and that's what makes it kind of tedious and annoying, and yeah. that's why breakpoints can be more useful. Mm -hmm. um, but like Stephen says, in Unity, sometimes they have some overhead that you don't need or want. Yeah, um, you know, uh, that that includes things like memory profiling and stuff like that. And that's one of the other fun things about like debugging is great, and I think most people use it in Unity, particularly because it's such a engine that does so much for you. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, you just do it's figured if your code is working. Yeah. But part of Unity is kind of hidden away. So sometimes oh, you yeah. need to know like when the layouts are updating or when yeah. or like what order these mono behaviors are executing their awake yeah. statements, yep. which you have no literally no insight yep. into. Mm -hmm. You have to um, you can either rant, you can either manually um, determine a script execution order. But if you don't, it kind of happens randomly. And you right. need to, your code needs to accept that that may happen mm -hmm. and it won't be random every time. But if you make changes at that <laughs> part, so you kind of need to know what what you are certain of and when, what is uncertain yeah. about, about the, your code as it's running. Yep. And sometimes that involves knowing a little bit more about the engine underneath. Yeah. And that's when a lot of developers get very frustrated because they're like, I wouldn't have designed it this way, but I, I'm not going to change it. Mm -hmm. Or like, oh, I'm going to fight against this a little bit, but then I'm going to have more troubles later. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, it ends up becoming not just a process of learning how the problem you have needs to be solved, but you learn a little bit more about your tools as you do this. Yep. Um, as you, especially as you interface more with the engine's tools and the engine's components and the code that is provided by the engine that you are not writing, but you're just linking into through APIs or by interacting with the code that you've written. It can be kind of exciting to like learn a little bit more about how it works, but it could also be frustrating because you felt like, oh, why did I need to know that? I could have <laughs> just been ignorant and it could have just worked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is really why you use an engine is so you can be ignorant and it can just work. Yeah. Um, so like, 
it can sometimes feel like a sort of false sense of accomplishment to really understand a lot about it. But you're like, well, I'm, I haven't made any progress as a result. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I've done tons of work. I've been here for six hours. Yeah. And... I just now know how, which, you know, weird edge case to avoid. Yeah. Gay me, I guess. <laughs> like, <you> know, <laughs> yes. It could be very exhausting. Mm-hmm. So debug dot log. Yes. I'm just <laughs> nodding. That's. That's my that's my contribution. To, that's my end of the contributions to this part of the conversation. Please carry on. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I think we we probably uh, complained enough and described enough the, the, the process. Yeah. I will say at least that in Unity, coming from uh, other SDKs which didn't have editors, which mm-hmm. was just code, and then you ran the program, and um, I was much more comfortable using breakpoints and proper debugging tools. Oh, sure. In those editors, that makes sense. Um, it, it, I've had a very, I think a lot of people say this about Unity, that it is very difficult to find a good debugging workflow without just throwing your hands in the air and just using those log statements. Yeah. Um, but like I said, you shouldn't feel like you're totally giving up because the editor does give you a lot of insight into your into your, your components, into the serialized variables. Yeah. So don't feel like a failure if you've just given up on breakpoints. Yeah, um, that's actually one thing that I should bring up is that like uh, the if you have private variables, I think those are still... Ser- at least they're serialized during the gameplay, so you can switch your uh, in Unity specifically. So you can switch your uh, node mode from like normal mode to debugging mode, and then it'll show display all those private variables that you have. Yes, that's a good point. As long as they're not like static variables. Yes, and yeah. so um, th- they're not serialized, but they live in memory yes. while the game is running. Yes. and so you can see what they are. Yeah, and so yeah, that's that's right. So if you're just using Unity Inspector, then all your public and serialized variables are there. Mm-hmm. But like Stephen's saying, I- it's like in the upper right corner. Of the inspector window, yeah, it's not super apparent. I think it's like the little three dash hamburger. Yeah, thing. maybe we'll find a a, a, um, a a forum post on this and put it in the show notes because yeah. it's a really really handy tool. If you just go to the debug view, all of the custom um, drawers that make up a, an inspector panel or your or your components, all of that is just removed, and you just see all of the data. And it's not that useful to to when you're working, but it's extremely useful to see into some of those things. Yeah. Um, one of the things I don't like is when I, I I've I've seen projects do this, um, where you just put make all your variables public yeah. so that you can see them. Yeah. And especially and especially ones you don't intend to change, that makes me very nervous. But Same. I think that part of that is because maybe I come from a place where I private and public variables. That's like an important part of code design. I mean, I don't, and it bothers me. So. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um. And so that that debug view in the and that it's called that because yeah. it's debugging, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is again fairly useful as well. Um, yeah. The uh, and you know you've got the pause button, which is essentially a breakpoint whenever you want it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, again, if you if you feel like you haven't set up debugging properly in Unity, you still have a lot of tools at your disposal. Um, yep. I recommend everybody at least give it a try to set it up and then see if you like working that way. But it sometimes you just go back to the the the. Even if it's irritating and non-optimal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like to Mark's point, uh, there are a lot of benefits to doing it using the debugging tool. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like it is worth pursuing at least just so you know it works well and you do have a bug and you need to use the debugging tool. You're prepared. <laughs> yeah. One thing I will, the um, the profiler in Unity. Yes. Is awful. It's, it's so bad. Yeah. And I've, I've used better profiling tools. Like when I when I used to make flash apps, there was mm-hmm. a great programming tool called Adobe Scout, mm-hmm. which is an ind- is a separate program that is very much like the profiler in Unity. And it is my it's I mean, they haven't they've been updated it in like seven years. Yeah. But like it is still way better insight into code. And 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 I think that but you will get irritated by the profiler because it's bad. Yeah. But it's what you can get from it is really good. So I encourage you to check for that the uh, the profiler panel in you yes? Yes, Ellen. <laughs> 
Ellen has her hand raised. I just wanted to raise my hand and say, I totally agree. The profiler in unity is garbage. <laughs> What's a profiler? Okay, so that was, that was getting to that. So, okay. so a profiler um, it could be, it lets you know what code is running at, in a particular frame, and it can let you know what is taking up memory, and it can let you know, it has sort of breaks down what's going on yeah. in a way that like a, like a, um, like a, a debug statement can't necessarily, and even a breakpoint doesn't give you full access to. It, and what's really useful for it is you can see it from memory leaks. So mm-hmm. and a memory leak is when you're at it, you're, you create a new object, a new, uh, you know, a, a, whatever it is, a new uh, object in code. And it's got a, a hole in it. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Um, but the, the whole point of memory management in software is yeah. when you create a new object, you use it, and then you have to dispose it when you don't need it anymore. And a lot of game engines obfuscate, um, they, they abstract that away from mm-hmm. the, the, the user, meaning the developer. A lot of, and a lot of languages have what's called garbage collection, which is yep. if something has, is null and hasn't been used in a while, then the memory that, that, that has been allocated to it gets freed up after a while. Yeah. Okay, so you want to manually destroy those things when you can mm-hmm. so that the garbage collector doesn't have to work too hard. Right. And sometimes the garbage collector will see a piece of memory, of, of allocated memory, and not feel confident enough that it's no longer needed. Mm. There's a reference to it somewhere in your code that hasn't been removed. Mm. So it will just leave it there. And especially if you're creating lots of objects, mm-hmm. and if you keep doing that, then that's called a memory leak, mm-hmm. um, where it just um, gets more and more memory, just starts to fill up with nothing. Yeah. And so that and eventually it will take up all the RAM of a, of a of a system or all the one that's can be allocated to that process, you know, by whatever machine it's running. Yep. Um the the profiler will let you know when that's happening because you just see the, the bar graph go up and up and up. Yeah, it'll just start <laughs> spiking. Yep. Right. And what you want to see is you want to see it going up as things are being created and go down when you're resetting scenes, or you want to kind of understand that. And then you can click and you can pause the the editor. And you, if the memory profile is is recording, which is very pro, very intensive on your dev machine, yeah. it slows down the game a lot. So it's not very useful for performance metrics. But you can then look at any individual frame that's been recorded, and then you can see where all that memory is going, yeah. which which code loops are running at that time. Um, so you can see like, oh, I'm running this code in in update every frame, but I don't only need to update it like every twenty seconds or something, or every second, or every five frames. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could save you know, 80% of your work if you only need to run it every five frames. Yeah. Right? Um, and so, you know, may, or, well, I'm running this every frame, but it's so low impact and it's so convenient for me to run every frame that it's okay to be a little wasteful. Right. Yep. So you can make lots of decisions about how your code works. And this is especially true in, a, in an engine like Unity where it, if you're new to it, it encourages you to put a lot of code in an update loop that runs every frame. Yeah. Hmm. So, and so a lot of times you're running the same code over and over that's just answering the same question again and again. And that can be convenient to do yes. because otherwise you have to set up systems for which when to listen for and when yeah, to change more, it. Yeah, more there's a lot more work to, to avoid that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're using event systems or signals or whatever, yep. um, it can be a heavy process. But then as your application gets bigger and bigger, you start to realize, you, you start to face the consequences of all that wasted uh, work. Yes. And um, it's hard to know what's useful or not sometimes until you can see what uh in the profiler because it will tell you this piece of code took this long to execute yeah and you can see how much i have a i have a budget for every frame which is like 16 point something milliseconds if you're running at 60 frames a second something like that yeah and you can see how much of that that budget was taken up by this block of code yes and so you can really drill in and decide what's useful and what's not And you're like well i absolutely need this i absolutely need this i absolutely need this and those three things 
take up 175% of my frame budget. Oh. <laughs> so that doesn't work. So, okay. <laughs> so I need to find it to not just removing those things from the, the that particular execution loop, mm-hmm. but paring them down. Yeah. Or maybe, honestly, sometimes changing your design. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, well, this is uh, the technology is not capable of supporting. And now, of course, the memory profile is running on your dev machine. So you're going to have different performance on different machines. Yeah. So yeah. it's sometimes very difficult to know. But... You can look at um, frame time and you can see, you can kind of map that a little bit to other, you, can, you want a little bit of a buffer if your machine is very powerful. Mm-hmm. If you have a low end machine, you might be okay running your game at 25 frames a second if you have like a real potato of a, of a PC. Yeah. If you're, if you're targeting higher specs. So there's a, still lots of guesswork you have to do, but it gives you a lot more insight than you'd have just from doing debug statements or even breakpoints yeah i'm enjoying revisiting this topic in the way that we are now because like i understand the words you're saying <laughs> <laughs> Yay. mostly anyway yeah well i have two reactions it's like first of all um it sounds like the at least the way that you're describing the profiler seems like it'd be really fascinating to watch we just like run this and then look at what happens yeah. and run this and look at what happens like oh i didn't expect that it well sounds- see then you run into the point that unity's profiler is kind of garbage yeah <laughs> yeah okay because it just it takes forever for unity to do it yeah it's of these wah, types wah. of yeah. uh, and if you've never used any other it can turn you off from using these kinds of tools yeah but i would say fight through it if you're a unity user because it's very very valuable it's very valuable um it's just slow but yeah. it's, it's worth it if you- <laughs> Just right. react yeah. to it this oh no, that's not good. I was gonna say react to it the same way with the same kind of Zen approach that you look at the spinny circle on Netflix. But the thing <laughs> is I don't react to that spinny circle on Netflix with the Zen approach. No. I'm angry at it. I switched yeah. to a different platform. Okay. So the other thing <laughs> So do what they said, not what I said. Um, the other thing is I remember us talking about this uh, with widget satchel development mm-hmm. when I when I designed a level that had mountains of junk. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. There's one section in Widget Satchel, which uh, Ellen designed. So we have junk in the game, which is just physics objects that Sprocket runs into and knocks all over the place. Mm-hmm. It's mostly a aesthetic uh, thing. It, you can get mischief points by knocking things around. Yeah. But there's no puzzles tied to it, right? It doesn't yeah. block your path, except for one <laughs> that Ellen designed where you have a, it's like essentially like a junkyard zone. Yeah. Just mountains and mountains of these tiny pieces of junk piled and you have to create tons of piles of them in order to move a a, a power up through, you know, it, there's, it uses it in a mechanical way in a way that I'm a little upset we didn't do more of in the game because mm-hmm. it's very clever and it's a lot of fun to play. And it's and really it took, satisfying. It took a lot of work. For, well, you did most of the work on that, Mark. <laughs> and we only used it for one thing. Yes, we only used it for one thing. And that's probably partly why I'm upset we didn't use it more yeah, often. Yeah, that's true. But it was, it slowed the game down to like eight frames a second. Yeah. And it wouldn't run on Switch at all. Yeah. Um, and the, I used, the memory profiler was the biggest tool I used to be able to know, okay, I'm going to make this change by making sure that the physics objects are maybe using less precise calculations mm-hmm. if, if this is happening. And can I get away with that? If, or um, if physics objects exist so far outside of Sprocket's field of view or the player's field of view, yeah. can we turn them off? Yeah. But the puzzle relies on you setting up this machine of junk piling and then li- leaving it alone, like walking away. So this spo- zone was also special in that it needed to actually turn all that stuff on in times that other areas where we had junk we could just turn off once they were off screen. Yeah. So there's lots of like bespoke structure for this thing. All of it was worth it. But man, it was difficult. And mm-hmm. when it finally ran well on Switch, it was like the biggest accomplishment of development in that entire game. <laughs> and really just highlighted how like valuable it is to really dig in. Because Widget Satchel is not 
it's not a heavy game. No. Yeah. Um, we just like had a particular, and we weren't. It wasn't super well optimized for the extra load we were putting upon it. Um, and so we had to build these custom things to be able to accommodate. We we, I, we couldn't rebuild that stuff just for that section. We had right, to right. have these basically edge case uh, scenarios. Right. And the memory profile was a huge part of making that work. And all the different things I tried, being able to know what impact they had on on frame calculation, on uh, on the uh, like, oh, can we run the physics through the GPU? Is like, nope, that's way too complicated. <laughs> and so you know, in a future, you know, in Super Widget Satchel, maybe, but. <laughs> You know, what can we save here? Can we cap the physics? Can we drop the physics frame rate? Because our animation frame rate is still at 60. So maybe Sprocket's jump will, jumps will be less precise, but does this game really need that? Mm. And so we're, it's overkill in most other sections of the game. So can yeah. we save a little time and increase our physics frame budget? And so lots of that, in order to know if that any of that worked and which which optimizations were not worth bothering with or didn't right. help a lot right. or would cause too many consequences to be worth it, the memory profiler was a huge yeah. part of that process. It gave you yeah. the information you needed to make decisions without having to spend so much time just like trial and error. Yeah. And yeah. I still spent a lot of time trial and error. Yeah. And so without it, it wouldn't have happened. Like, mm -hmm. There's just no way. You, sometimes you do need, even when you're making games that don't aren't taxing your system, like, and you, you have a lot of overhead to waste, which a lot of us indie developers do. And yeah. there's a real advantage to that. Yeah. It's some, it's very good to not worry about perfect optimization. Yeah. That is, that is, it's a, not a, the best use of your time. Most of the time we're not making games on the NES. So exactly. <laughs> we can afford that. <laughs> but occasionally you have a, you have occasion to. And mm -hmm. so that's, that's was very, very useful. Then. Yeah. Can't, occasionally there's literally enough junk in your game that you need to do it. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And I would say like, well, there's a section of that level that Ellen put like, 75 exploding barrels <laughs> each with their own you know uh, particle systems <laughs> and and when they blow up then the, it blows up the one next to it so all of that and so we have we have 72 independent particle systems yeah. exploding and all those physics forces like blowing the different chunks of each piece on there and so like i removed as many as i could without angering ellen <laughs> and still being true to the design of it yeah Mark, you weren't supposed to tell Ellen that. I know. <laughs> this is the first time I've ever heard of this. <laughs> Flip the table here. Yeah. What do you mean they're not real explosions? But that's, you know, those are the, the balances you do. Like, yeah. well, do I want it to have this many exploding barrels, but kind of be choppy? And that's fine, maybe, mm. because it's just that moment. Yeah. Or do we want it to look really smooth, but only have like 52 barrels? And can we arrange it in a way that still is true to the, like the layout that you plan for the level and in terms of how the player feels when they get there? So a lot of this comes down to like game design sensibilities. Yeah. Right? yeah. And that's one of the things I want to talk about. A uh, good segue to the sort of final piece of this, yeah, which is about the sort of uh, which we talked about at the very beginning, which is the sort of philosophy of like fixing bugs. Yeah, like do you just prototype fast, move fast, break things, fix it later, or do you just stop in your tracks? There's there's a spectrum here, right? But you know, or do you just stop in your tracks and fix things as soon as they're a problem? And one of the things that um, that works for me as a developer stopping in my tracks mm -hmm. is because I'm kind of generally also working on design questions and also testing to see if this feels good. Hmm. Like a lot of times if I leave those things alone, they can have consequences in those realms Oh yeah, yeah that's true. in a way that is probably not as true for perhaps more highly structured and organized teams. Yeah. Hmm. Actually that's, that's a good way. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I think I, I think about like when I'm implementing new functions and stuff, in 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 game, whatever game I'm working on, and I discover that there's a, this, this thing is not working the way I had in, intended it to, or mm -hmm. how we had intended it to. Uh, I will oftentimes stop implementing this feature to fix this bug 
because well one i discovered it so like and i'm here and it's probably only take me five minutes yeah um but also i say that now but it might take me 30 um <laughs> and also um like it will probably impact like the work i'm doing now so mm-hmm. it makes sense to fix this before i fix other things or before yeah. i continue with other work yeah 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 now there are, i mean there's certainly we've sort of talked a little bit about the downsides but mm-hmm. like it's it is it's really easy to lose momentum Yes. Right. Is mm-hmm. when you're working on something and then you get waylaid by something else, then you get really focused on that. And maybe because I have this addictive personality, it's easy for me to get trapped into this other thing. And then I have to get back to the thing I took off. Yeah. You kind of have to, you know, um, dog ear the page in your, you know, and, and like be able to pick up exactly what I was like, what was I doing? Right. And mm-hmm. what did I, what did I learn on this process that's going to change what I was doing? Or can I just go right back to what I was doing? Yeah. Um, that can, that requires a lot of, um, um, a lot of discipline to be able to do because sometimes you'll get caught up in fixing this thing and then you'll fix it and you'll be like, well, well what? Where do I go now? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I go back to the thing I was doing and then instead I just start fixing other little bugs that are completely yeah. separate from that process yep. that don't need my attention right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be very difficult. Yes. Um, and so the, it, it also, I would say it, it slows you down but it can slow you down in unpredictable ways. Yeah. And I think that, that's one of, that's probably its biggest drawback is that it's very hard to be I'm facing that now because I'm I'm you know I'm I I'm accountable to uh, you know a, a, t- a team and to a publisher right and at, n- at no point have i felt the stress from them so like I, to be very clear like this is all just self-imposed like yeah. you know we're all keeping each other very updated on what's happening so th- there's no surprises to anybody mm-hmm. but when that when you are accountable to others it is very frustrating to go back to them the next day and say sorry my estimate for thursday it's actually next tuesday and then go back you know, over the, that weekend and say, it's actually this upcoming Friday because these other things popped up. Yeah. And, you know, even when you don't feel like that anyone's going to give you any crap for it, mm-hmm. you, like it feels it's not doesn't feel good yeah. to 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 not have those to not be able to estimate how long it will take. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that is more happens more so when you when in kind of these unexpected uh, things that break. Yes. And then sometimes you fix them and then you like, well, as long as I'm here fixing them, I will improve it a little bit too. Mm-hmm. So using your time, like, well, it, so it's very, it's really very difficult when you're working yeah. on your own project or with a smaller team where you set your own deadlines together. Um, and, and there's le- there's less of that accountability. It's much easier, but it, on the flip side, you can, you can find yourself not, Put, have any stress on you to move on to the yeah. next thing yeah right and you can it's just true. keep spinning your wheels on a thing until it's not just fixed but perfect mm-hmm. right and that's not good either mm-hmm. so there's i'd say there's lots of downsides to this process right. and i'm trying to explore them all because i don't think i'm going to change and so <laughs> i just want to be a, i just want to be aware of how this works yeah yeah but well on the flip side if i may yeah um the you may <laughs> <laughs> the way i tend to go about things um i i, I also have the issues you're describing right where like you'll get into bug fixing and then that's the that a whole day runs by and you're like what was i supposed to actually be doing uh, <laughs> but on the other hand a lot of times what i will try to do is i will try to implement things very quickly and uh so that like you know uh people can get work done that they need to get done yes um and then it will cause problems down the lines so i have to fix those things later yes um, so that that is especially when you have dependent dependencies with, yes. o- with other people's work right 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 i don't want to slow other people down like especially in my new job i'm the only programmer and i don't want to slow anybody down so i have been working very quickly uh because like the game we were working on like i think was in the back burner for a while so i, I made a prototype first day on the job they really like that Woo-hoo. i think i've said that a few times yeah. i'm proud of that um so i did that really fast because like i wanted them to experience the game that they've been 
trying to you know envision yeah for a while um and so like i you know i put it in all of these features and stuff very fast um so that like people could you know start seeing actually seeing the game um but as a result of that like there are a lot of things a lot of the systems that i put in there were kind of systems i made for myself because i knew i could work with them really quickly mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like sometimes like we uh like the things i worked on were in, in impediments to others because like i worked on them and i knew how they worked but like i didn't really describe how they worked in yeah. the code right. or you, in the- you end up saddling your dependencies or your dependence yes with the flaws that you put in to make it go quickly yes so you can build things on shaky foundations yes now if everybody understands that <laughs> and they and they did and, well, yeah, they, yeah it can still be like i don't want to like tear down that 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 approach because yeah. that can still ultimately be better in the long run mm-hmm. right. because you can move quicker you can incorporate more of your design thinking into that process yeah you the changes you make because it's kind of it's a sandcastle anyway so it's yeah. okay to break it apart and make it something different yeah um it does take um your your refactor costs happen later in the process yes mm-hmm. and so and it requires you to do a lot more tracking yes um of like this is a bug it's not a showstopper. We can leave it alone, but you have to log it. Yeah. You have to, everything you've learned, like you need to put it down somewhere. And uh, um, and what, what happens to me is if I'm doing that, I might as well fix it. Yeah. But, <laughs> but the idea is if you don't have time or you'd really rather be doing something else, it'd be more effective to do something else so yeah. that you can work together with your team. Right. You let, you let that one go. But so none of these are efficient. That's, that's oh, the key. Yeah. It's like you're always going to find like, well, this is not efficient for this reason. But it. You gotta let that go sometimes. Right? Yeah. 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 And I think it depends on like where you're at with like with with we're making a prototype and my plan was to eventually throw away a lot of the code that I did, take what I learned from doing this prototype in this mm-hmm. way and use that to finish the final game down the line with new information. Yeah. And like be slower about it. So I'll probably get closer to what you're doing. <laughs> um but like uh, at the, in the same vein, I think that it's important to uh I, I, I actually I, I found that like the way that I go about with my normal day today, this um, current thing is like I'll implement a bunch of new features one week and then the next week fix a bunch of bugs that hmm. I imp- when I implemented new code mm-hmm. um, and stuff. Because oh, like I, I tend to do it quick and then just come back and fix that stuff so that it's better. And overall, uh, over, uh, eventually, like the code just improves over time. Um, at least that's the goal. Um, that's, so that's really interesting for yeah. like from a psychological perspective, right? Because mm-hmm. one of the things it's we haven't said these words in this episode, but we've been dancing around the issue often is the cost of task switching. There's a mental cost to yeah. task switching, right? So you're doing one thing, and then there's a bug, and you have to go fix it. Or do you really do you want to keep going on this? You know, there's like a huge me- sometimes a huge mental effort in trying to switch your brain from being focused on one task to another. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and what the the process you described is really interesting because you release co- new code one week, and then then you spend like the next week on debugging. That context is still like fresh in your mind. Yeah. So you're gaining some efficiencies there. It's still not overall like maybe you're always going to have inefficiencies, right? Yeah. Like you have a meat computer and that's what's running your whole thing, mm-hmm. right? Like it's no, you know, yeah. Anyway, um, there are always going to be inefficiencies when people yeah. are involved. <laughs> yeah. Well, this also, it comes down to like planning out the order in which you're going to build your your game. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because you can, you can plan for, oh, we're going to work fast. Mm-hmm. So let's plan for a lot of things that are not dependent on each other so we can work fast, test them, and then we can stitch them together with some with some glue code that we can throw away later mm-hmm. before we have to worry about fixing everything. Yeah. Or 
this is really going to, we need to get this finished before we can work on this next thing. And this next thing is important. So for now, we're all just going to focus on this until it's essentially done. Yeah. Knowing that once the rest of it's built, we'll have to come back and make some changes, of course. Right. But like, that's the different kind of refactor cost. It's like, you can't perfect it now because the rest of the gap isn't done. Yep. So you're going to come back there. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, I'm always open to refactoring. So like, uh, that doesn't bother me, but like that can be, <laughs> that can be, especially if you spend a lot of time making it actually work. And then realizing that, oh, oh, I actually need to rebuild part of this that I spent all the time bug fixing. Um, in my mind, sometimes that can be fine because you you've, you've fixed all the bugs that would happen. So when they, they're not going to happen again. Mm. Other times it could be, well, I need to take a different approach. And all that bug fixing I did was pointless. Yeah. Which has definitely happened to me. Yeah. Um, but it how you plan it is important because then it it, it should be conducive to what you ex how you expect to work or how you plan to work mm -hmm. when it comes to actually fixing problems yes. that show mm -hmm. up or 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 letting them sit and tracking them and and maybe even having uh, especially if you have a QA department who can actually like work with builds if you do weekly builds if you're that kind of team um, that people can actually check out um, then like that that kind of workflow that like tracking process can be really important I think for a lot of us on smaller teams. That doesn't really happen, mm. um, and so we have we can't so we can't assume a s workflow which which expects it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So, Ellen, mm -hmm. are you you feel like you have enough to go out into the world and debug whatever software you write in the future? Super not. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. But I know debug.log. There uh -huh. we go. And uh, and I we talked about process a lot too, right? So I'm one of the things I'm. Well, like Stephen has been resistant to the idea of talking about hiatus projects, but I am excited <laughs> to spend more time with Godot yeah. uh, during hiatus and maybe I will have to do some debugging or maybe not, or maybe I'll think about it and I won't. And I'll have, I'll be able to, what I'm hoping, oh, here's a goal for you. I'm going to come back from hiatus and I'm going to be able to tell you the Godot version of debug dialogue. Ooh, let's go. <laughs> yeah. I like that because I don't have to do any work. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that your summary of like, I sort of know what you're talking about, but I'm not prepared to do it, and maybe I'll be better in the future. That's just the whole thing. That's what it is for all of us. Perfect. Yeah. So pretty uh, much excellent summation. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. All right. We're gonna. I'm gonna give you three hints. Maybe four hints, and you're going to tell me what the object is. Okay. Okay. We can do that. This is this is not actually going to work because you already know what I'm going to talk about. I, no, I don't. don't I definitely the illusion. don't. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cut that then. Um, so, here's here are your hints. It's uh -huh. got our logo on it. A okay. mouse pad. It's <laughs> a good idea. That's a good idea. Uh, it makes a great gift. A mouse pad. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what makes a good God, gift. Mouse pad's like a stocking stuffer. It's not like a gift. Like, hey, here's my. Here's <laughs> yeah, okay. That's happy fair. birthday. Here's yeah, your that's, mouse pad. Yeah, that's a pretty that's bad a, gift. All the stores were closed. This is what was in my closet. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we're, we're no closer than we were after the first hint. Right? Okay, cool, cool, um, cool. It can show your friends that you're part of the Nice Games Clubhouse. Oh, mm. wait a minute. That's an idea is starting to form. It's got a logo on it. It makes a great gift. A uh -huh. receipt from Patreon.com? No, we're not doing that one. <laughs> no, 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 It's not Patreon.com. Okay. No, no, no. Show your friends you're part of the clubhouse. Yeah. I'm actually thinking like a really cool like blinged out necklace with the logo would be all those things. Ooh, but yeah. the fourth now clue. Now getting distracted. <laughs> the fourth clue is going to nix that idea. Yeah. It's, the fourth clue is it's soft. Oh, I got it. It's a hamster. <laughs> it's got our logo on it. You don't know all the hamsters. <laughs> Maybe it, maybe it's a hamster with it, a T-shirt. Oh, that's fun. It's the T-shirt. It's the T-shirt. We it's have a T-shirt. You know, looking back, those were pretty good hints. Yeah, that's yeah. very clever. Yeah. <laughs> 
with Stephen Prado. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we have a t- we have a T-shirt. It's it's all the things that I said, and I will reemphasize that it's soft. We've it's had people soft. ask about how the heck it's so soft, and um, yeah. I'm going to say debug dot logged it, and <laughs> also you can get it at nicegames.club/shirt. I'll say it again, slower this time. Mm-hmm. Nicegames.club slash shirt. <laughs> Slow old. <laughs>And that's our show. Um, <laughs> no, no, we have an actual topic. Right we couldn't resist. I'm not sorry. So silent protagonist. What is a silent protagonist? <laughs> you, you can talk now. Yeah, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the bit is over. Yeah. A uh, silent protagonist is basically um, you, you, you play as a character who doesn't really say much 
they'll you know do some shouts and grunts and junk but like nothing they don't really speak full sentences Mm -hmm. they're really there for the 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 player to like you know embody as as the person experience in the world yeah in the world that you're playing in and specifically the the expression of that is that they are generally silent. Yes. But that's not really what it is. It's that they are essentially like tabula rasa. Yes. yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. They're bare bones. They don't really have a personality so that the player can Im- but can put the personality onto them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. effectively. Right. Um, and so I, I guess they wanted to talk about like, wh- you know, what are situations when you want a silent protagonist? What are situations when it doesn't make any sense to have a silent protagonist? Um why people why games do this mm. uh, i guess we just talked about it the reason why is because players want like they want to be able to embody the world yeah in certain mm-hmm. in certain aspects um and so like it allows them to do that in a way that works for the game um so like an example of a silent protagonist would be like um link in legend of zelda games mm-hmm. um does not speak there are other characters that oftentimes follow link and will be annoying and talk for, for him. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen. You exactly. know, I might have said this on the show before, but in Breath of the Wild, uh, Link is not a silent protagonist. The mm. character just doesn't speak. Yeah. Like you get mm. into conversations with other players and you see Link kind of gesture with their hands. Yeah. And then the other player or the other NPC goes, So you're telling me that blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And that's how you learn what Link said. Yeah. yeah. It's like completely nonsensical. It's really weird. And, um, and as games get more robust, the characters tend to have Link in Breath of the Wild. Actually, mm-hmm. Link in a lot of the more recent games, the past 15 years, mm-hmm. has more of a personality, yeah. but still is on the top of the list of silent protagonists. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how true that is. It's a, it's a dimension, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I think in, I think I would argue that Link is still a silent protagonist in Breath of the Wild, less so perhaps only in that like some of his personality and that traits. Link tells people things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then he literally does talk. Yeah. Um, but I think that like generally speaking, whatever he says is not important. Cause like it really what happens yeah. mm-hmm. really what happens is like the characters talk at him. Like the, the the example you just proposed is like Link does a bunch of gestures and stuff and then like the 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 person he's talking to is like, so what you're saying is this, 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 but the the person who he's talking to is actually doing the expressing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean yeah. I I'd still push back on that, but okay. in, in all the the cutscenes, especially the flashbacks, yes, where Link is present, Link has essentially nothing to say, yeah, yeah, and 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 not even in that fake way. Mm-hmm. So he's very much silent in those. Yeah, scenes he's just for there. Sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little weird, actually. <laughs> no, and like it. you said, anything they express or do mm-hmm. is irrelevant. It does yeah. not have any impact on other characters. Exactly. Well, that's a that's a good point because like Mario is another example of a silent protagonist, but he's you know very expressive in his animations, his movements, his let's goes or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like he, you know he's still expressive, but like he's not. He's still a silent protagonist, and that he doesn't really have personality in a way that like basically his personality is upbeat. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. kind of it. So, like, because the re- like the rest of the world is that, it doesn't really come across as a, it doesn't come across as like him playing through a story. I guess it's yeah. kind of weird. It comes across as you playing an avatar in this world. Yeah, so you're playing right, and whatever personality Mario has, you are meant to adopt. Yes, and so it's still supposed to be you. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exactly where my head was going with it. It's mm-hmm. like, well, okay, so it doesn't. There's a personality, 
but you're invited to adopt that personality. Yeah. Rather than like you're not, you know, you're not playing a character like you would be in a play where you have to adapt the whole like mindset and all mm-hmm. the beliefs and the history and everything like that. It's yeah, just, a, yeah. it's just a, it's just like an outfit. It's like a personality outfit. Yeah. <laughs> now compare that to like Luigi and Luigi's Mansion, right? Or Captain Toad mm. in Captain Toad Treasure Tracker. Yeah. Uh, the best Mario game ever made. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm putting it. I just love it. It's game. good though. Yeah. Yeah. Those characters are similar mm-hmm. in that they provide just as much to you as Mario does. Yes. In any of those games, but they have more distinct specific personalities. Right. That, uh, that, I mean, I guess you could still call them silent protagonists, but well, I don't know that I'd go that far. No, no, no. I definitely, I definitely agree with you. I would say, argue that like Luigi and Luigi's mansion is like scared. A lot of the time, mm-hmm. where most players, I'm not one of them, would not be scared. <laughs> I'm a wimp when yeah. it comes to horror things. But you're meant to observe <laughs> Luigi being scared. Yes, because like that is the environment, and Luigi is in that environment, and you as the player are watching and playing as Luigi in that environment. But Luigi's the one supposed to be scared. Yeah, the player is not supposed to be scared most of the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so like, it, I think it works like in that respect too. And admittedly, I haven't played a ton of Captain Toad's Treasure Tracker, but I like his, you know, upbeat can't do attitude ready for adventure thing yeah is well i think he's a little closer to mario um but maybe less so yeah 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 mm-hmm. i mean captain toad and captain toadette have like a, a like there's a motivation there yeah that is different from like mario and peach yeah in that like toadette appears in more of the cutscenes, and there's more of that drive whereas you the player are just trying to get all the you're trying to beat the level mm-hmm. and so it feels there's more it feels more of a disconnect okay mm-hmm. but it but it's less necessarily about how, if you feel ready for adventure yeah. Like Captain Toad does. Yeah. And more that Captain Toad is just very specific. Mm, sure. Like, you know, like uh, his backpack is too heavy. Yeah. And like, he, he, <laughs> but he wants to get those coins anyway. Uh, um, and he's not going to take off that backpack just yeah. because he's on an adventure to save somebody. Like, you know, that is, it's so specific. Whereas Mario just feels more like easier to embody. Yes. I think. Yeah. That's fair. Well, that's, I mean, like, uh, it, maybe it's a sin to bring up the Mario movie, but. <laughs> Gas. Do it you, anyway. you mean the new one because it's perfectly okay to bring up the old one. Oh well, yeah, but well, actually, that's the thing. It's like the old one and the new one. They're gonna have to bring. They're gonna have to bring a personality to Mario where there isn't really one in the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, the old one, you know, made Mario like kind of grumpy and old and get off my lawn a little. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even in the even in the show, like Mario had a personality that was actually kind of like that. Um, and in the new movie, I don't know how they're going to do it, but Chris Red's playing it. So I learned a couple of years ago that Mario is supposed to be like 32. Just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, how does that make sense? I know. Because it's... I think a lot about like the the Bob Hoskins yeah. playing Mario. Like, yeah. Not that that's foundational to my understanding of Mario, mm-hmm. but I think of Mario as like someone who's just older than me, no matter how old I get. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. I'm yeah. older than Mario. Oh, no. <laughs> nope. I yeah. reject that reality. Yes. Yep. Okay. Um, so, like, another instance of a game, well, we're just going to talk about Nintendo games now, I think. Another instance of a game that is not a silent protagonist is Metroid. Because um, Samus, you know, I mean, oftentimes Samus is silent, largely because she's, like, by herself. Part of the themes of those games are isolation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, it doesn't really make, well, I, I guess games do this thing a lot where they're, like, you know, walking in their room by themselves. and They're like, oh, that's a nice book that, you know, talk their ideas out um <laughs> see that never bothered me because i do that all the time i do too but like it's weird still <laughs> i live by myself i'm constantly talking to myself i guess i'm talking to the dogs i'll be like pixel what do you think these shoes are those shoes and she'll just she'll like roll over on her tummy 
back. I just like put her legs in the air. I'll be like, uh, I agree. Yes. Totally. Yeah, I don't have that excuse. I have no pets. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but like Samus goes through, you know, turmoil and things. Well, I guess all of these characters technically do. But like she still like expresses things. There are certain cutscenes and stuff where Samus has agency where these other characters do not. I think the exception to that is the very first Metroid. Oh, okay. Yeah. Where Samus is a total cipher. Mm-hmm. And and the fact that she was a woman, it, it was like a thing that most players didn't know. Right. Because I think you didn't just have to beat the game. You had to like do something special to find that, right? Yeah. It was like an Easter well, egg. Well, no, I think it was. No, you know, you're right. Because like even in the, I think they lied to the players in the instruction books and said that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it might have just been a case of, of like no one cared enough to. Mm-hmm. perhaps and the character wasn't real enough at the time mm. but starting with metroid 2 on the game boy yeah much more focus on story and, yes. and relationships between those characters yep. um but i think she started out that's fair i yeah. think you're absolutely right but yeah no, and she like you know there are things that happen to her and she like expresses how she feels about those things mm-hmm. in a lot of the games. yeah and some games yeah. more than others for sure but yeah. Yes. yeah she does have she says things she has mm-hmm. opinions but she doesn't talk that much like even um um Half Life, I haven't played Half Life, but I know that like that uh, Gordon Freeman, that's his name, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Told you I hadn't played it. Um, he you know is it is an actual character. He has a history. He has things that happen to him too in the game. Um, but I, I he is technically silent is technically in a way that silent. is sometimes poked fun at yeah. that series. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, he is a specific character. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So he's not a silent protagonist because it's not some the character or the player cannot pretend that they are in the game because this is a separate person mm-hmm. yeah no uh i mean i think because the other valve silent protagonist is is chell from portal yeah. yeah that's true who has a very even in the first game is, is very much personified and characterized by glados mm-hmm. yeah but is silent and the player is meant to take on the role of that character yeah sure in yeah. a way so uh, this is where the definitions get kind of fuzzy and then i think there's like room for debate yeah. Um, okay. But it kind of brings back to like the um, the, I, I think the idea of a silent protagonist as mm-hmm. a as a lens by which to view these characters is feel and it's probably why we're talking about Nintendo so much. Yeah. It's, it's like a relic of of the way games just used to be made. Hmm. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like pretty frequently, even modern games with uh-huh. ca- lead characters, the, the lead characters usually don't do the most talking. Yes. Because they're meant to be the player, even if they're very specific characters. That's pretty true in a lot of franchises. That's right? true. Yeah. I'm thinking about like um, a lot of RPGs, modern RPGs have, you know, the character doesn't really speak, doesn't really have a personality and mm-hmm. like other people speak for them. Um, but like, I, I think a lot of times there's like just like one personality trait that they like are like, I'm thinking about like Persona 5. Like the main character, you know, high school student, but like his whole his main personality trait is he's cool. <laughs> <laughs> high school students. So n- cool. so the player can't embody that. No, or is it just me? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they can. I guess makes you it makes the player feel cool. Mm. But like, I I think that like that's like his only personality trait for the most part. Um, and so other you know other characters around him get to be more expressive, and you can you as the player can react to those expressions. Yeah. But the player or the character himself in Persona 5 does not, um, you know, actually do that himself. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of weird. The, I, one, the one I'm thinking of that uses it in a in an interesting way is Bioshock. Okay. Where, Ooh, where yeah. it's a silent protagonist mm-hmm. and there's his, you know, the sort of moral choices, which people have made a lot of fun of, but, yeah. you know, made 
was interesting in its era. Right, right. And and so it really was meant to be you embodying them. But mm. you start out looking at your own hands and you yeah. see like a tattoo. And so you know the character has specificity. Yes. Um, that you you know, can can or cannot relate to in certain degrees, but you know it's not you, mm-hmm. right? It's not you who crashed uh, uh, into Rapture. Mm-hmm. And and yet it still feels like you're the one making the choices and that's a big part of it. So it is a silent protagonist in that sense. Yeah. And then the big twist at the end is, you know, who you are and why you're there and what, what value your choices have. And so it kind of plays with that language, mm-hmm. which is sort of interesting. Yeah. And um, I don't know, I feel that that's, that's interesting. Whereas and this is another reason. Anytime I talk about Bioshock, I always bring it back to why Bioshock Infinite is not good. Yeah. <laughs> but in that game, it's very it plays similarly. Mm-hmm. But the character you are has a backstory and a all the way from the beginning. Yeah. And and a very rich. And then the twist is not as interesting. Yeah. And it doesn't play with that language as much. Yeah. Um. But I guess that's the question I want to ask you about. Like, you know, I mean, it's kind of what what's next on the bullet point is like what what use is this as a tool? Mm. Like yeah, I mean, as a as a mechanic or as a immersion technique or as a storytelling mm-hmm. thing, I think it's. I feel like it's mostly beneficial for like players to be able to feel like they can embody whatever character you're playing as. Yeah, or that emotion. I think it like because I think you brought up a good point with like Mario technically has a personality in that he's upbeat, um, but like is not his personality is expressed through the player's actions mostly mm-hmm. so the player really kind of expresses those actions uh, or those that personality trait of mario yeah in a way that other games when they have distinct characters do not do that yeah think about like um like a braid is specifically a take on mario yeah and that character is a bummer the yeah. whole way through <laughs> yeah and, the, and so the game feels different mm-hmm. right totally but also a silent protagonist mm-hmm. right? yeah that's true that's a good point um that's a good example of that yeah um, so I think that like the benefits of silent protagonist is mostly that like it gives the player, it helps the player give themselves permission to, ex- to, to feel that mm-hmm. the emotion that we, as that we as developers want them to experience as a player mm-hmm. or as a character. Yeah. That's, that's a little confusing. That's what we yeah. did with Sprocket. That is what we did with Sprocket. Right? Yeah. We wanted players to feel, you know, mischievous. Yeah. A um, little goofy, a little, a little un uh, steady on their feet. Yeah. And that's that was and, and so I would never really describe Sil- uh, Sprocket as a silent protagonist because they have personality. Yeah. But by these terms, I suppose so. Yeah. Well, Sprocket also never speaks, but you know, uh, Sprocket's Sprocket a fair, so it's, it's <laughs> yeah. logical. Yeah. <laughs> They're not an unusually silent protagonist. Yeah. <laughs> unusual in other ways, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Socks. Yeah. Yeah, but that I, I think that like when you're talking about when you're talking about specific stories, I don't think it's I think it's important to make sure that your character is not a silent protagonist. Mm-hmm. Like I think a lot of like certain like Final Fantasy games um are telling specific stories for the main character in a way that probably wouldn't work if the character was silent the whole time. Right. Um because then like well, cuz it, it feels counter to the to the narrative in that way. Mm-hmm. Like you're kind of you're expor- you're experiencing the story that this character is experiencing, but you are not experiencing the the story the same in the same way. It's kind of hard to talk about because it feels like obviously you as a player you're experiencing the story, but like the 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 character you're playing as expresses it expresses their own reaction to things that are happening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ellen, did you hear that? He said it's hard to talk about. Oh, because because <laughs> silent. <laughs> it's it's funny. I got it. 
I got it. I got there. I got it. <laughs> I got there. That's good. Yep. Took me a little bit too. <laughs> that was good. Um, yeah. So I don't know. Uh, like, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm thinking about like a, a bunch of different like Final Fantasy games that do that. I, I can't think of any other JRPGs. Um, I don't play a lot of JRPGs that do that other than Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. I feel like Final Fantasy is unique in that respect in a lot of ways. In that, like, you play as a, you play as a specific character who has a specific personality, mm-hmm. and oftentimes it seems to me that personality is brooding. Or you know, a teenager. Yeah, this, yeah. the same person. They so all have not, the same personality. Yeah, but like when things happen in the game, like you don't, you as the player do not express how you feel about it. The play, the character expresses how they feel about it, and you just agree with them a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The same way that you'd agree with a movie pro- protagonist, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Depending on the movie, of course, there are lots of protagonists, I guess, that suck, and you're not supposed <laughs> to agree with them. But yeah, yeah, you're following their story. Mm-hmm. And that's fully their story. Well, just being a protagonist um, provides a lot of inbuilt empathy. Yes. Yeah. Like, it's why people like uh, Rick Sanchez or Walter White, like, even mm-hmm. though you're not supposed to. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 And actually, that's a good point. Like, it's the same as, like, games like The Last of Us Part Two and stuff. Like, I mean, Ellie is, you know, a fully fleshed out character. Yeah. But you, you play as her and you experience these things and she's doing stuff that you definitely don't want her to do. Well, and you play as her, like mortal rival right exactly and, and that's mm-hmm. you know that credit to that game mm-hmm. by doing that it lets players uh deal with make have different feelings and make di- and make different like choices in their mind right that are independent from the gameplay yes about what those characters are and it lets yeah. you examine that in ways that other games don't always do right right and it, it, you know you wouldn't be able to do that if, a, if if ellie was a silent protagonist and didn't have personality right um so i think it's important yeah i, I think that like i think a lot of the I think it is valuable to have a silent protagonist when it's important for the player to be able to express their emotions in the game. Mm-hmm. I think it, but when you're trying to create, you're trying to have the player experience a narrative and it's not, and it's not important. And in fact, it's probably beneficial that the player does not experience the same emotions that the character you're playing as has, then you do not want a silent protagonist. This seems like an overarching rule. Yeah, I think so. I think I, I think okay. I understand where you're headed with okay. it, and I think I was kind of headed in the same direction for a conclusion, which is mm. just really it depends on what type of ex- I mean, it, it depends on what type of experience you want and what kind yeah. of story you want to tell, right? So, like you're going through Breath of the Wild, the emotions that you that the player is going to have come through their actions directly involving the game. Right, because because mm-hmm. Link as a silent protagonist isn't like a medium for that. His like the body is, the personality is, I guess, but like the his story is not an intermediary really, because um, he doesn't really have a story. Right. Um, so it's more of like that kind of direct connection. Whereas with if you have a protagonist that has like a very fleshed out characterization, your experience you're experiencing the game world and the game story kind of through that. Oh, what's the what's a good word like? adapter i don't know like it's it's just a it's another layer of meaning on top of it which just gives a different different flavor different texture to the whole experience yeah it just depends on what you want yeah it sounds like um how important is this character to the world Mm. right how tied up are they in to the plot um maybe helps determine whether it's useful to have a silent protagonist or whether to like buck convection or uh, uh 
subvert the form, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Mario's got to re- rescue Peach, but like anybody could rescue Peach. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, Mario may be uniquely motivated, but then any Sonic Tigers could be. Um, yeah how interesting or important is that the full character in unfolding the game story yeah Yeah. how personal it is to them how how personal is it like do you really is it really important that that you know all of you know link's favorite food dish and (laughs) you know like why he wears the hat and well okay so that's that's an interesting question so like i'm thinking of shadow of the colossus yeah that Mm. is a very personal story in that, like, you play as this, I mean, this I don't think the character ever speaks, um, but, like, you play as this character who's trying to revive this girl. I don't know, fully understand how that <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's a deal with the devil kind of story. Basically, yes. Basically, where you, um, you do these, and you, as, as the player, you come to learn the deal that the character has made. Mm-hmm. And so, what I like about that narratively is that it is a silent protagonist, yeah. but only for a little while. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, you realize it wasn't all along. Yeah. You know? That's yeah. cool. At least by the definition we've been setting up. Yeah. Is that is, is, it, it is meant to be you until you realize that what, what choices the, the character has made versus the choices you as a player has made. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's a good point. So that, yeah, definitely. Huh. Transitioning between silent yeah. and non-silent protagonist. Exactly. I mean, it. Uh, we might be complicating it, but Perhaps. it's because we're, we're having these fuzzy definitions. So yeah. it's it, it allows for this kind of playing with the form, or at least in terms of a critical eye, yes. how we interpret. You might have a developer who just described it that way and didn't think any further on it. Yeah. But that's the difference between creation and criticism, right? Mm-hmm. Right, right. Well, yeah, yeah. Ultimately, it is a useful tool for creation purposes when you just you, you don't want your protagonist to say words. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because then it values. But I would say, um, don't worry about having a checklist of if it meets all the criteria or not. Yeah, like feel free to be flexible. Yes. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Frankly, you can have a. You could literally have a silent protagonist, except they're not silent at the end, and that would be interesting, right? Yeah. Like a character that you know says one sentence. It'd be really interesting to have a character who you're meant to embody, but then at the very end, they pull away from the player and comment on and have opinions about the experience. Oh, in yeah. a way that maybe oh. challenges how the player experienced it. Oh, you know? that's cool. Which is satchel too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we do a little bit of that in the sense of like w- w- Sprocket's motivations is different from the player's motivations. Yeah, right. Like you know, um, and we we reveal that sort of subtly in a way that I don't think a lot of players. Uh, are, are meant to you know it's a it's a subtext yeah mm-hmm. yeah um but there's 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 more there's more you could do with that yeah everyone has the option of reading games that deeply but not every game is constructed and designed yeah. and created with the intent for players to read it that deeply yeah yeah, yeah right yeah. so yep, yep cool should i go silent again is that how this is gonna work no nah, i don't <laughs> No, you should just chatterbox all the way through the outro. (laughs) That's our show. Check out our website, nicegames.club, for show notes and links to resources on today's topics. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, on the funny sounds we made, and on our programming in general. Go to nicegames.club slash feedback and tell us what you think. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter. At Nice Games Club, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and a timely reminder. Hmm. That sounds way darker than I intended it to be. It's a nice thing. Oh, sorry. A timely reminder. <laughs> or you can email us through contact at nicegames.club. Want to support the show? Yay, thank you. There are so many ways. 
You can give us a review on your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about your favorite episodes, maybe by getting them a t-shirt. Join us on Discord by visiting nicegames.club slash Discord. And we are on Patreon. As a patron of the show, you'll enjoy bonus content, extra jokes, more funny noises, and additional stuff. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. So until we start again, by which time you have gone to nicegames.club slash shirt and picked up one of our lovely soft t-shirts, remember to play nice and make nice. Okay, so so that was that. Um <laughs> and huh? what? Ah! Ah! <laughs> ah! That wasn't the transition we talked about, Steven. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally gonna put a shocked. pause on the show right now. <laughs> I I think I missed that conversation. <laughs> no, you were here the whole time, but I But I wasn't listening. I, I absolutely love what you just did. I'm sorry. <laughs> so so Steven. Are we just going to roll it or are we going to try? No, let's start over. Yeah, that's fine. (laughs) That's definitely going at the end of the show, though. Yes, yes, it is. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.